0: Howdy folks, welcome to Redneck Gone Green. I'm your host, David Cobb, and I am the redneck and you bet I've gone green and I'm trying to convince you to do it too. A reminder that when we here on Redneck Gone Green talk about going green, we mean that in two very important ways. First, deep ecology, not merely environmentalism or conservation, but a recognition that all of life is interconnected it is a sacred reciprocal relationship uh, and that whatever we do to the web of life we ultimately do to ourselves the second way we mean green is green party uh, which is to say i'm a proud member of the green party uh who works with progressive democrats and socialists and independents uh and people who don't believe in electoral politics but the point is y'all that I believe there needs to be an electoral arm of our growing movements for peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. Uh, I personally believe that the Green Party is the best expression of that, but I am not a partisan Green. Uh, And with that, we're going to introduce the topic of this show Build and Fight. Now I wanna acknowledge uh, that I had hoped to have Kali Akuno on as a guest. He is not able to join us, but he is going to be rescheduled. But I figured that this conversation was so important uh, that we would have the conversation around Build and Fight and the creation of a new 501C4 to do that. I wanna be transparent and clear, Kali Akuno, Uh, is the chair of the board of directors for that new formation. I am going to be the coordinator of that formation. But the formation that we're talking about called, again, Build and Fight, that's literally uh, a way to do transformational electoral politics. Now, again, I want to be clear. When people talk about wanting to make systemic transformational change, and then you say, let's talk about elections, folks typically fall into one of two categories. One category of folks will say, look, you just said you wanted transformational change. If elections could change anything, they'd be illegal. Elections are for chumps. Like social movements are the only thing that's ever actually been part of systemic transformational change. That's one group. The second group are a group of folks who say, are you like elections? Thank goodness you're talking about using elections for transformational change, because elections are where we elect people who have the ability to make and implement policies and laws to do it. You should focus on elections and let's run a big, good. uh, voter ID and get out the vote campaign so we can make that happen. And that other stuff, movement stuff, whatever, like elections are where it's at y'all. I understand both of those folks. And I like to say they're both right, which means of course they're both wrong, which is y'all, it should not be an either or either elections or social movements. It's both. And, So to me, the thing that I'm most excited about is the idea of creating a political formation that is going to be explicit and clear about transformation and is going to engage in elections in a way that engages both candidates and ballot initiatives, right? So, uh, and the formation even deeper would literally, re- it will require candidates to make a public pledge that they will not seek or accept corporate money. And that formation has to be willing to work with Greens and Socialists and Independents and Progressive Democrats. That is a formation that is what I call transpartisan, that is an ability to actually go beyond that. And since kalia kuno is not here i'm going to invite that handsome executive producer that you all know and love jack rabbit uh into the conversation so that he can as we say where i'm from hey jack rabbit grade my papers i want you as somebody who comes out of uh you know social deep social change uh who had a can we say you flirted with or like went steady with electoral politics for a while and then you. Then you then you you quit and discuss. I mean, how do we how do we talk about your unique vantage point from anarchist to Occupy Wall Street to Bernie Sanders?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, like I didn't really care at all about electoral politics. You know, only in the most peripheral way. I didn't really pay any attention. I considered myself to be an anarchist. There was a time where I was kind of like a. I thought I was maybe a libertarian. I was I was kind of a I was a mixed up bag. And i blame most of it for uh i blame uh, robert anton wilson for that i'm not sure if you're familiar with with him or not but my basically my politics came from the illuminatus trilogy so if you know anything about that then you'll know to run screaming anytime i'm coming near so uh that's kind of like a you know i i saw bernie sanders as essentially the last step before the collapse of of American democracy. And I feel like I was right about that. You know, I mean, I, I now that I, I look in retrospect, I definitely can see that I hate to say this, but yeah, he was the sheepdog after all, wasn't he? You can nod your head, David. I know you know you're right, but um, oh yeah, no, it's true. So so, you know, I um, you know, I, I definitely I, I always saw that the um, you know, I was always well aware that the system was was seriously broken. It had a lot of problems. And i was just kind of like hoping that you know uh, you know i could just take a step away and do my own thing and people would like oh yeah this is a great idea you know he's doing such a great job you know we'll follow him it was nonsense right but but then when when bernie was around i was kind of like okay well he seems like he's got the right ideas maybe if he gets elected i can help and that's going to make a difference and now i know better so know this is why i wanted to check in with you about this because i thought i heard you say something about progressive democrats and i just want to i just want to kind of like uh you know can you just kind of tell me a little bit can you walk walk me back from the ledge here because when i hear you i hear the word democrats it's just like eh, not really not really keen on that and also uh, i think as the second part of that question is uh why did you did you not mention republicans or did i miss that
0: no i didn't mention republicans uh although because I have not been able to find a Republican uh, these days uh, who would be willing to get on board with the uh, approach that we're describing, right? So uh, remember that the entire orientation here is transformational, and it is to democratize the economy, democratize elections themselves, democratize the legal system. And so there you go. Catherine uh, self-identifies as a liberal Democrat. Right. Uh, So uh, and we'll we'll go into why I do think I work with progressive Democrats all the time. Uh, uh, And so I'll circle back. Right. Why progressive Democrats are so important, because, Jack, I know this, the rank and file members of the Democratic Party. Like, let's take Catherine, who is a a frequent uh, visitor, guest and contributor here on Redneck Gone Green. Catherine self-identifies as a liberal Democrat. Uh, And what I would say is, I bet if we were to bring Catherine on this program, and please, Catherine, uh, feel free to uh, engage in the chat, Uh, but what we would find is that Catherine is opposed to war. Uh, Catherine wants to see a guaranteed living wage to all workers. Catherine would like to see us transition off of oil, coal, and other fossil fuels onto sustainable alternative energy. Catherine wants to see us abolish corporate constitutional rights. I could go through the litany of lists, right? Here's the thing. Progressive Democrats exist in the membership of the Democratic Party. Elected officials and the leadership of the, especially the National Democratic Party, are mostly neoliberals and they fake being liberal Uh, or progressive, right? So uh, there you go. Catherine says, I'm in favor of all that. And I also live in Texas. So how about that? Uh, You know, I don't know if you would self identify as a redneck, Catherine, but you know, a couple of Texans here, uh, I think folks may know I'm from Texas. Uh, But what I'll say is this, Jack, when I talk about progressive Democrats, what I'm saying is, I'm not going to turn somebody who's a member of the Democratic Party into my enemy simply because of their partisan label. Now, I, as you know, absolutely, uh, uh, Jack, and am a green. And I was the one who told you that, you know, when Bernie Sanders was first running, you know, the very first time that I was I understood why people were excited. But I did not think that he was ever going to win the nomination and that ultimately uh, he would sheepdog people back into the Democratic Party. And, you know, as you know, Jack, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders didn't disappoint me because he did exactly what I thought he was going to do.
1: Yeah, no right? and no, no offense to Catherine, by the way. Catherine, I meant no disrespect to you. I, I mean, obviously, I respect you very much, considering that you're willing to um be a part of the redneck on green community so you know definitely i know you're on the you're on the right page so that's cool Um, definitely as as uh you know david was alluding to i think that the leadership of the democratic the democratic party is is simply unredeemable and i think that you know we see a, a lot of times that we've seen often and and i'm sure david's got even more examples but i mean like you know there's bernie there's like every member of the squad Uh, Pramila Jayapal I mean like the just like the list feels pretty endless of disappointments and I don't think that that's a bug I think it's a feature of the Democratic Party and so that's why I I definitely um, you know consider that to be an issue but not necessarily with individual Democrats for sure but that does you know kind of you I mean that kind of segues into transpartisan, right David that's something that uh, I'm not sure if you feel like you fully covered that or not but um uh you know if you want to get into that a little bit more in my uh build and fight is transpartisan
0: yes and that's exactly it uh folks that remember that what we're talking about is a political formation that's not just raising money and giving it to candidates uh it is a different orientation it is to say we're going to actually build a political organization that has clarity that we need an explicitly post-capitalist economic system, that we need to be encouraging worker-owned cooperatives, universal basic income, public banking, community land trusts, locally owned energy production and distribution models, uh, the, the, the whole gamut of democratized, democratic economy, right? Uh, And that is something that is happening all across uh, the country. uh, But it is something that the leadership of the Democratic Party uh, will, will will not, will not embrace, even if you will find examples individually in some locations, uh, where they'll be supportive of those things. But wait, there's more, because we also want to talk about democratizing elections. By that I mean things like ranked choice voting and proportional representation, things like full publicly funded elections, things like uh, ending felony uh, felony disenfranchisement, which is a completely perverted and racist application where the intersection of our criminal justice system, our racist society and elections kind of merge. Uh, in addition to that, well, we want to uh, institute immigrant voting rights, same day voter registration, make elections a holiday. But wait, there's even more. We wanna democratize the entire legal system by abolishing the illegitimate court-created idea that corporations are persons with constitutional rights. We want to abolish the equally odious, also court-created and also incorrect idea that the expenditure of money is First Amendment free speech. We want to support and empower local communities uh, for self-rule initiatives. We want to advocate for the use of quo warranto proceedings, which is Latin for by what authority, where you can literally have state attorney generals, county district attorneys, or perhaps even state initiated private citizens issue corporate charter revocation proceedings against corporations that have a routine history of violating safety, health, environmental protection and worker laws imagine passing three strikes in your outlaws against corporations uh imagine r- passing legislation that prohibits corporations from ever spending any money to support elections so the david can we I'm get
1: making... can we can we get capital punishment for CEOs on there as well is that something well go ahead no you go no, well, you look, tell look, me tell me I
0: think it's I think it's pretty interesting. I, I think uh, I, I could get down with uh, you know life imprisonment under hard labor for CEOs. Uh, the death. I'll make that compromise. <laughs> I'll
1: make that compromise, David.
0: All right, look at that. See, we are we, we already made a compromise, <laughs> Jack. But the point I'm making, y'all, to, to Jack and to everybody else, is what I'm describing is what the global south or you know what happens in latin america asia africa uh uh all across the world grassroots movement engage in elections uh in a from the bottom up and they make demands that other that elected officials have to react to and in our country uh uh uh, we end up chasing politicians. I do wanna throw up uh, Kelly's, I think, astute comment here. All of these things David is listing are things people would really want if they knew about it. So Kelly, thank you for that. Uh, Again, Kelly is uh, another frequent contributor here on Redneck Gone Green. And what's really worth pointing out, Kelly, is everything I'm talking about, these are actually majoritarian positions. Right. So your assertion, I can tell you, is demonstrably true and backed up by polling data. Right. So these are absolutely supported uh, by the majority of Americans, but they're not implemented by any place, whether Democrats or Republicans are in charge, because at the end of the day, the leadership of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are basically in agreement about how society is supposed to operate. Uh, They are in support of capitalism and neoliberalism. They are in support of U.S. empire. Uh, It's a shell game that the leadership of the Democratic and Republican parties play, which is why I work very hard uh, when I meet a principal conservative, and I do think that principal conservatives exist, that I say, let's find ways to work together where we can work together.
1: So, um, David. I'm going to ask you a question. What makes build and fight, which sounds great. It sounds wonderful and kind of echoing what um, you know, um, echoing what Kelly was just saying. This is something that so many of these elements you were bringing up, all these ideas and, and ways to change economy and to change democratic engagement and all that sounds wonderful, right? They sound really great and they're very appealing to a lot of people, which is why there are a lot of organizations out there claiming to support this stuff who actually don't end up doing anything. And so what I'm putting to you here is David, what makes what you're trying to do different or unique from other organizations that have similar, uh, agendas?
0: It's a great question. And I appreciate, uh, as always, Jack uh, brings the hard questions. Uh, uh, here's what makes a difference. Number one, uh, Most of the electoral formations are really just about trying to elect candidates. They're not uh, really issue focused. You may get a platform list, but the whole point is electability and trying to get somebody who can get elected. I'm saying I am way more concerned about building a robust, broad, militant mass movement that engages elections, but does not focus on elections, right? So that's a distinction. Like almost all of these other groups, they really end up being if they're involved in elections in any kind of way as a 501C4, which is a a political or an IRS designation. Y'all, they're just fronts for the Democratic Party, right? And the Democratic Party really controls the show. So that's one difference between us, Jack. But wait, you say, what about all these other groups? David Cobb, Redneck Gone Green, you've had all these other people who talk like this on your show. And there's, the, there's these fantastic organizations that you get them to talk about, like Cooperation Vermont, or the US Solidarity Economy Network, or the Participatory Budgeting Project, or on and on and on and on. To which I will say, good question, astute listener and viewer of Redneck Gone Green. And every one of those organizations are 501c3 organizations. Now, as a lawyer, you know why that matters? Because the Internal Revenue Service Code has specifically been written to depoliticize or de social change groups. So you're not allowed to electioneer for candidates if you're a nonprofit charitable organization. What we're doing is something unique, Jack, because we're saying we're going to do that kind of specific work around issue work that C-3s normally do. But we're going to do it as a C-4 so that elections are part of what we're doing and not just candidates. But I want you to imagine for a moment. Ballot initiatives on things like no corporate money in our local elections. Here's another one, Jack, you know, we know that Margaret Kimberly and the conversation on Gaza was a very popular program. Now I want you to imagine for a moment, Build and Fight as a 501c4 helps to incubate and run local ballot initiatives uh, calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. And we use that to demonstrate the growing political power uh, that this ceasefire movement has. And it forces elected officials to take positions because a ballot initiative is actually on the ballot. So, and I can go down the list of examples where we can use electoral politics in a much more powerful transformational way. And honestly, Jack, I'll say it again, The reality is that most of the electoral formations are basically subservient to and under the direction of the Democratic Party apparatus. And we're talking about building something genuine, independent that welcomes rank and file Democrats, but does not allow the neoliberal leaders of the Democratic Party uh, to dictate what we do or how we do it.
1: Right on, David. Well, you know, thank you for thank you for explaining all that. Um, you know, it, it sounds really great and you know, it is very consistent with uh, you know, everything that we've been talking about on redneck gone, gone green, you know, since this is uh, you know, often what we have on, we have people on who are talking about alternative economics and alternative ways of of kind of building democracy, which I think is great. So, uh, yeah, really sorry that we couldn't have Kali on today uh, so we could get his perspective in integrating um, you know, uh, his experience with Cooperation Jackson. But um, yeah, um, so so
0: I'm going to take this opportunity to
1: to share with
0: listeners and viewers that don't despair because Kali Akuno is going to join us uh, on the first Tuesday. Uh, in March and get this Jack every uh, first Tuesday thereafter. Uh, So we're about to get Kali Akuno into what we'll call regular rotation, just like we'll do with Margaret Kimberley. I also want to lift up Jacqueline who uh, writes in a comment. She says, I think in the West, we have a political system in which politicians who may have good intentions, feel coerced into selling out on some of their ideals. And I think this is a very powerful point that uh, Jacqueline is making because, again, uh, there's a phrase, I forget who uh, said it, uh, because if I could remember, I would give them credit. I didn't come up with this idea, but I think it's a very important one. And that is really, we typically, most of us, uh, do not rise to the end, uh, in, into our individual aspirations what we end up doing is falling uh, into the systems in which we operate, right? And this is the point that, and this is why I think Jack uh, and uh, his, Jack bristling about the Democratic Party uh, is something that uh, uh, I'm in alignment with. And that is the leadership of the Democratic Party tends to discipline uh, the, and re, like they, re, they have a system of rewards and discipline. So when a genuine, absolute progressive populist does get elected, they end up getting punished if they don't fall into line to go along to get along. Here's an example. I live in Northern California, right? Way back in the day, uh, there was, uh, a fellow who got elected to Congress, uh, in the same year that, uh, Bill Clinton got elected. His name was Dan Hamburg. He got elected as a Democrat uh, and he won in the state of California in the in the U.S. Congress and Bill Clinton the same year that Bill Clinton did. And uh, Dan Hamburg was disgusted by NAFTA, uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement, and the Defense of Marriage Act and i go down the list of just how horrible uh bill clinton was and literally bill clinton and the democratic national committee starved dan hamburg out refused to give him money and literally let a republican win that seat uh, dan was not able to to hold it to his credit dan hamburg then said a pox on the democratic party leadership joined the Green Party, it ended up running for governor uh, on the Green Party ticket, uh, then uh, ran for at the local level uh, and got elected to the County Board of Supervisors in Mendocino County as a Green Party member. So I'm just pointing out, it takes a special breed of cat to be willing uh, to go up against the leadership of the Democratic Party because they're thugs. Uh, Because, you know, again, uh, the the system is the problem. And the idea that one individual uh, champion can work within the Democratic Party, I think is, at best, it's a fool's errand, right? Uh, it's just not possible to to stay a leader in the Democratic Party, uh, and to to be able to do what the build and fight formula uh, aspires to do.
1: Well, I don't now, think there's really I don't think there's a whole lot of argument that you could have there. I mean, considering that you see that there was this movement, this well, I wouldn't call it a movement. But there was like a huge push of like grassroots energy around politics that came out of the Bernie Sanders uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign and you know, and we see the excitement around AOC getting elected and, uh, you know, beating the what fourth most powerful Democrat in Congress, like Joe Crowley. And there was so much, uh, there was so much energy around that, the, the, uh, democratic socialists of America, they, uh, their, their, uh, uh, numbers grew dramatically because of all the interest in this idea of socialism that Bernie was kind of like getting into people's ears and, you know, and then so then you have like, then, you know, and then you have in the next election, you have like the elections of uh, Cori Bush and, uh, and and the rest of the squad, you know, and and we see that the, that 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 these individuals have been really uh, just ineffective, uh, ineffectual. They barely try to do anything at all. And most of the most of the stuff they do is is like, you know, on social media a couple. Uh, you know press conferences that they'll have on the on the Capitol steps. I mean, it's it's very, uh, it's very much a letdown. And and you know I I think that you know you see the kind of the relationship that the Democratic Socialists of America have with these people, and how effective they are at really kind of leveraging any any power. And so you know I, I would love it if you would want to. Kind of like, how do you see the idea of accountability? Oh, would, one, and that's something that I wanted to mention as well. Is like, I love that we had Kate, uh, you know, Kate Baird on, uh, you know, last year to talk about what they what they did in uh, in Barcelona in Spain with, uh, you know, with their organization that got Ada uh, Colau elected to be mayor of Barcelona and the way that they were all about like engaging having town halls dealing with like, you know, directly engaging with the the population of the city, and getting feedback from them to be able to, to, you know, move forward actual progressive policy. And, you know, so I want to know from you, what in America, are we going to do? What can how can build and fight move this idea forward? In America, I mean, America isn't Spain, obviously. And so, you know, we can't do the same things that they did there. What makes what makes you think that build and fight has an opportunity to really make a difference
0: because there is actually a history of doing something like this in America it was uh, back in the populist uprising the 1880s uh, up to the uh, the turn of the century in the 1900s there was something called the non-partisan league and the non-partisan league actually built a platform and a program and then said we don't care what party you're in but will you support these policies that we have said are important to us?" And they built a powerful grassroots organization that was not a political party, but said, if you're for us, then we're for you. And if you're against us, we're against you, right? And that approach is part of why the populist uprising and the People's Party emerged across this country. It's why in Minnesota, for example, you actually don't have a Democratic Party. You have the Democratic Farm Labor Party because the Farm Labor Party merged with the Democratic Party. My point is, Jack. There's actually a history of this working in the United States, but most people don't know the history because most people don't geek out on political economy and and social change movement history the way I do. And again, I don't think that makes me, you know, special. Or maybe it makes me special in a in a in a funny kind of short bus way. Um, I'm sorry. I think that that may actually be insulting. I didn't mean to uh, to do that. But I'm just pointing out, right? I, I
1: thought I thought it was funny
0: okay thanks you know like you know i don't want to be obnoxious right i mean i want to be funny and uh and, and make a joke but i want to be respectful right it was
1: uh, yeah i was uh, that was um so i think my question though is like yes i think it's great that there have been what i guess my my question to you is what have you learned about the historical successes that you think you can use in today's world because obviously it's so, a different world today so what's
0: Yeah. So, so, Jack, thank you for that uh, sort of, you know, continuing to push the issue, because one of the things that the Nonpartisan League successfully did was to say it's not just a series of policy uh, and platform positions and it's not just elections. They were also connected to. Uh, the creation of the farmers alliances where uh and then the creation of the very first granary co-ops. I mean if you if you travel across the uh the Midwest, you'll see all these big, huge silos, right? These grain silos. And almost all of those were examples uh where people were doing grain cooperatives. Why? Because uh the bankers and the uh the the financiers were were screwing them uh, uh in and uh and so they created cooperative ecosystems and they had a sub-treasury plan i mean the farmers alliance and uh and the and the co-op and the sub-treasury plan were an amazing example of merging uh like direct uh uh mutual aid uh and elections so like yay it worked you know where they're you know the the mistake that I think they made Jack are you ready for this I'm listening they merged into the Democratic Party
1: that, yeah I was gonna uh, I, I was actually gonna mention that you know there there have been a number of different uh attempts over the over the decades over the centuries to kind of like create these alternative pockets of uh community and economy and you know I what what lights up for me when I hear you talking about this is the efforts of black Americans to, you know, start their own black bank and like support, you know, uh, you know, projects that are in their neighborhoods to, you know, support that community. And, you know, the the sad reality is, is that that kind of approach that that economic approach where, you know, you, you know, like that some people call black capitalism is destined to fail because there is a leakage where the uh, you know money that is invested into these economic systems is leached out by the broader uh, predatory capitalist system. And so it's like um, you know I think that that is always a that's gotta has to always be a concern um, and something to to be considered when when you're talking about building, uh parallel economics okay that's that's my particular take on it because that's just that's it's just a a a fact it's a it's a you know so so yeah that's it's just something to keep in mind so i'll
0: let me take that head on jack before you because i don't want to like i'll let you come back to the next point you're going to make but i do want to underscore my agreement with you about the inherent nature of predatory. like capitalism is predatory right? And what makes the solidarity economy framework different is it is explicitly and intentionally post-capitalist, right? It's not dogmatic and says, this is what you have to do, but it says, we can't ultimately reform capitalism. We're going to need a new economic system. And so Black capitalism will not liberate Black folks, Black capitalism can make some black people rich, just like capitalism makes some white folks rich, right? But uh, like black capitalism is never going to liberate black folks any more than capitalism liberated white folks. I mean, I come from a family that that, where the boss man had his boot on our family's neck from jump, right? Like, so I don't have to be convinced that capitalism can't be reformed. Uh, And I think that uh, I got to lift up Jacqueline, who wrote in, you can't change anything or create anything worthwhile if you adopt the tactics of the capitalist oppressors. Amen, Jacqueline. You're a, this is a, a redneck gone green listener viewer after my heart, right? Like I completely agree with that. And what I'm saying is it's not enough to just be like in the coffee shop or even on the barricade shaking our fist at the oppressors. But the point is there is a way to create new economic systems, even within this current society, but you have to have political and clarity that you're doing something that is not only alternative and a niche, but that at the end of the day, you're talking about the community owns these entities right that these it's a it's a question of who owns the means of production it's also a question of not just ownership but of understanding what class struggle really means and so when i talk about class y'all i'm not merely talking about socioeconomic status although that's intimately related i'm asking who actually owns the means of production because, uh, Jack, I'll tell you, the number of people that I meet who says, oh, I'm a capitalist. And I say, oh, really? What what means of production do you actually own? And all I have to do is like the fact that they like they own some shares in a stock, you know, I mean, they, they, these these people, they get a 401k and they think they're a capitalist. It's like, no, you are not like you may be benefiting from this economic system, but uh, capitalism has a definition, right? Uh, and uh, when I talk about class struggle, what I'm talking about is understanding that the role of the non-owning class is to actually take control over the economy and society and operate our entire society for everyone's benefit. And Yeah.
1: And I, I, I want to kind of uh, key off of what the the lovely uh kelly says which is that most people are suffering right now due to our current level of capitalism they also do not have any idea of what steps to take to help themselves and others communities need educational town halls and i think Brilliant. that yeah Brilliant. and i think i think that this really comes to like the need for a multi-pronged approach towards any kind of change and why you know fetishizing electoralism is a dead end because you know they're well for a lot of the things that we've talked about and we can see the dead end of the squad um you know and and uh bernie's campaign even dennis kucinich who you know i really appreciate but you know you see that uh, even though he is he was an individual with like great uh great politics total like amazing amount of of integrity i think he still has a, a ton of integrity um but you know you see what happens when the democratic machine can just like you know set its sights on somebody and just trash them and tear them down so it's really like you know what what kelly is what kelly you know brings up is she's you know she's kind of pointing to the need to have a multi pronged approach and you know while she she's talking about educational town halls i think that there is a need to kind of really change the culture as well as the economy and i and you know it's it's one of the things that has come up over you know the the months that we've been doing redneck gone green that i think is so important is the idea of being able to give some give people an an economic alternative, right that that they can actually hold on to. I think that that's absolutely essential to be able to offer people a, uh, you know, put is there a way for you to put food on the table or at least at the very least money in your pocket, you know, in a way that is like it, consistent with these principles and your ideals, right?
0: Hundred percent and. I, again, I want to circle back to Kelly, uh, and I, again, Kelly, I think that this idea of communities coordinating and presenting educational town halls is brilliant, and it shows in in my organizing language would say, oh, Kelly is an organic intellectual, uh, which is, Kelly, you may not know, but the, like, in my circles, we call those Uh, people's movement assemblies are participatory processes where ordinary folks actually bring folks together, not experts, but instead ordinary people do these kind of town halls. And that's one of the things that makes Build and Fight as a 501c4 unique is we're literally talking about uh, both doing elections and people's movement assemblies, and incubating worker co-ops, and, and, and. So the thing is, it's not electoral fetishism, even though in elections you will find us engaging in elections. But what we're going to be doing is in between elections, not just building voter lists and voter identification lists and you know preparing for the next election, we're going to be preparing our community to meet needs and preparing our community to govern ourselves. And we, like as we build up and out, we prepare our community to be so powerful, so engaged that elected officials actually have to worry about us as opposed to we worry about them during elections. It's literally flipping the script.
1: Right. I mean, like as V for Vendetta says, you know, governments need to be afraid of their people. So, yeah.
0: Boy, I wish that, you know what, Jack, uh, we probably can't do this on on our various uh, platforms. But man, I I love that line. uh, And I wonder if we would get in trouble if we uh, if we made that a tagline.
1: Uh, No, we would not get in trouble for that. No
0: all right well in that in that case we might have to uh take an audio clip and uh uh start inserting it into that show because jack's, <laughs> jack's reference to v for vendetta uh like that's a powerful film y'all uh and i'll also say again like the difference between us being afraid of our government and i gotta tell you if you're not afraid of this government then you're not paying attention right like uh, like uh But imagine, instead, a government afraid of us. Well, the reality is, Jack, that that's one of the lessons that I picked up uh, from Kate on the municipalism program, uh, and that is that they had built such a broad and deep and engaged uh, uh, community that folks were literally scared of the the people's assembly processes uh that were underway right so lessons learned and lessons learned about the importance of not just engaging in elections but also meeting people's needs as you said food on the table or money in their pocket that's why i think it's so critical it's not either or it's got to be both and
1: yeah, one of the things that they did in, in Barcelona was they would have regular people's assemblies. And, you know, eventually, I believe, as I recall, it did get to be a little bit too much. I think that, you know, at least for like the mayor herself, I think that it became to be too much. There was too much for people to do. Um, But, you know, that was a real thing. And I, I would suggest that that's something that should be part of you know uh, you know a condition for support from build and fight if i was to make a suggestion uh humbly you know is that you know people who are going to get that support from your organization um you know make sure that they commit to en- you know engaging directly with their their constituents. I mean, I think that that, you know, you see, like, Nancy Pelosi, I don't believe that she's had a town hall the entire lake, what 50 years that she's been in office, or, you know, uh, she doesn't have debates with her, um, you know, with her competition and in, in her primaries. I mean, you know, I think that that would go a long way towards building, you know, uh, you know, this idea of, of real community engagement. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, look, I completely agree with you, Jack. I mean that this this idea of making sure, ch- like, I guess that an, another way to come at this or to talk about it is to recognize that we don't just need candidates and elected officials, uh, you know, who were ooh scared of their their uh, constituents. What we really need are members of our community who are social change agents, to actually be running for office that are committed to being accountable to the movement itself. In other words, uh, you know, right now, uh, the, 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 it is it is exceptionally rare uh, to see uh, an elected official who really thinks and acts as if they are truly servants of the people. Right. It's just it's just not how the process works. And so that's why I thought your point, Jack, earlier about changing the culture is so important. It like it like it's all connected. Right. Like uh, so, yes, we should do elections, but not fetishize elections. And yes, we should do people's assemblies, but not so much that it burns the people out or burns the process out. Yes, we should do worker own co-ops, but if all we do are co-ops, then all we've done is at best create a little job for ourselves where, oh, cool. We fired our own boss, but the rest of capitalism is still like destroying the planet.
1: Right. And which again, is it's it's just so important, David. It's so important to like keep in mind with this. Like, I can't I can't stop thinking about just the degradation that our current system the barbarism of our current system and the way that it just brings people down you know i mean it just makes it so that people are so terrified and so scared of you know going outside of what are considered to be acceptable boundaries that they are you know, basically trapped in a you know an unsustainable like life sucking uh you know capitalist monstrosity so it's so i i think that i i'm really grateful to you i can you know i can say that i'm very grateful to you for wanting to put this forward I'm, I'm it's one of the reasons why i'm i'm really grateful to be a part of this show and and you know getting to be exposed to the people that we've had on the show um because i think that you know it the, the reality is that we can talk a good game uh, when it comes down to it we are surrounded by a you know just an absolutely toxic anti-life that is taken the form of like you know establishment politics in this country establishment media and it is it is just it is out to destroy us all and you know and and it's only through working together it's only by supporting each other that we have a chance and that's it's not trivial but it's also not trivial to do that, I don't think. I don't think that it's enough to just like talk about how nice it would be. I think that, you know, it's it's really important to be able to have a tangible, uh, you know, tangible results that people can hook into and be a part of, uh, and without that, I think that the the pull to the dark side is so powerful and so strong, that it's it's going to it's just going to take a lot of work it's going to take a commitment it's going to take a lot of work and it's only going to happen i think through working together with other like-minded people in a way that's like thoughtful and strategic and really addresses people's basic needs fundamental needs right and not just you know and and not just like highfalutin ideals so I, i think that's why i'm really grateful and appreciative of your you know constant focus on you know, both economic and political power, I think it's it's really, really essential to be focused on those things.
0: Thank you, Jack, and thank you, Jacqueline. I wanna lift up uh, who made an astute ob- uh, observation in the chat and that is a lot of politicians who pose themselves as anti-establishment are usually very much part of the establishment, Trump being a case in point. I think that's an absolutely accurate statement. And I often say this is, that in terms of like like, like the establishment parties are never going to uh, promote a tr- the transformation that Jack and I and, and you, the Redneck Gone Green community, are advocating for because the establishment parties exist to promote and defend the establishment. That's why the leadership of the Democratic Party and the leadership of the Republican Party are never going to advocate for these things. And it's why. We need to build our own authentic institutions that are meeting our needs for food, for housing, for shelter, for art, for culture, uh, all of those things. And we have to engage in electoral politics. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, I, I I think it's important uh, to recognize that we also uh, have to remember the importance of playing together, the importance of resting together, uh, the importance of forgiving each other. Because I'll tell you, like uh, my mama taught me this, uh, th- this saying, we are all better than the mistakes that we make. Right. Uh, and Jack, like, uh, you know, you, uh, I, I know, because we've been knowing each other for a minute. Uh, I can remember a couple of times that I've had to circle back and say, hey, Jack, sorry about that. I wasn't like, uh, I feel like I was kind of short with you or uh, I didn't really, you know, I kind of flashed at you. I got frustrated and so forth. I mean, none of us are always our best self, right? But if we really are sincere about making these kind of changes, then what it becomes is, oh, this is a process. This is life itself we're going to do our best. Uh, and uh, I, I, I want to uh, underscore, right, uh, that the, uh, that, that here's how I think about it, y'all, that at the end of the day, I have both a political and spiritual practice. And it goes like this, y'all, I'm doing my best, I really am. Uh, and the, the divine, I think of it as uh, the goddess, it uh, doesn't matter however you think about it, the, the higher power, whatever. I don't believe that the goddess has tasked me with winning or succeeding. The The requirement that I have is to do my best. And so if I can remember that, that I'm just going to do my best. But here's the hard part, Jack. Are you ready? Do your absolute best. Release the result. If you can honestly say you've done your dead level best at the end of the day, then I can sleep well at night and just release the result. Cause I can't, I don't have the ability to stop this rapacious monstrosity of a culture and a monster. But what I can do is to be the best version of David Cobb, to be the best version of that little boy that my mama raised to teach me to be kind and loving. And if I can do that, then I can sleep well at night.
1: Well, I think that's really sweet. I do. But I also want to say that, uh, you know, after many years of therapy i can definitely say that it is uh not necessarily the easiest thing to know what your best self looks like and that uh figuring out what that means and who that is is that's a a real that's a that's that's something to really put an effort into and really try hard at because it's it doesn't come easy i'll tell you
0: no well this society uh, don't make it easy does it jack look at here y'all i want to thank you for joining this conversation uh and remember Kali Akuno is going to come back onto this program uh, on the first Tuesday of the month. Uh, in the meantime, next Tuesday, we're going to be joined by members of the Poor People's Army, Sherry Hakala and Shamako Noble. Uh, these are righteous uh fighters and defenders of the people uh they'll be talking about the work that they do and the march from the democratic to republican party conventions that they're going to do i'm really excited to that and i want to invite you to please join us and remember this y'all that the the redneck gone green community is growing uh we're getting larger stronger and better organized every day and it's because of folks like you uh, and so I ask you, I know that everybody says to do it, but I'm going to say, please, would you like, comment, and subscribe? Remember, Redneck Gone Green is a Substack community where Jack and I do writing every week. But we also have a YouTube channel. We have a Facebook uh, channel uh, and a group. And we broadcast on Rumble. But wait, there's more because we also put out a podcast. So perhaps you're just listening to this on podcast. So however you are connected to this community, please stay connected to this community because we the people are far more powerful than we dare to believe, but we can only win if we unite and fight. Peace.